take your Bible and turn to Hebrews in chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, and if, as you do that, if you're able to stand, I would invite you to join me as we read publicly the Word of God, Hebrews chapter 11. <clears throat> Today is not only uh, our church's anniversary, but it is also the Armstrong's wedding anniversary, so year number Lucky number 13, right? <laughs> so uh, make sure you uh, give them a hard time about that and uh, congratulate them. Uh, so we all get to celebrate their anniversary together. So uh, that's, that's pretty neat. All right, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verses 11 through verse number 16. Uh, Hebrews 11, 11 says, Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. And was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. And were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Lord, we're just so grateful to be in your house tonight. Uh, what a privilege it is to gather with your people uh, here in this uh, free country. And uh, Lord, we do thank you for all those in our church's history who have uh, given and sacrificed so much to build the foundation, not just physically in the buildings we reside in, though we're thankful for that as well, but uh, Lord, for the foundation of faith that uh, we are now still meeting all these years later. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for that. And uh, we now pray as we look into your word that you would uh, speak to our hearts. And uh, Lord, help us to have a spirit where we would say, yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. Help us, Lord, to desire to obey and submit to your word for our lives. And we uh, just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So we started the series going through Hebrews chapter 11, uh, and it's loosely taken again from uh, our theme for the year, looking unto Jesus, and that's taken from Hebrews chapters, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And uh, verse 1 mentions that there is so great a cloud of witnesses that is watching us, and uh, what it was referring back to was Hebrews chapter 11, the uh, Old Testament saints who lived by faith to encourage us to also uh, live by faith as well. And so we've been looking, taking these Sunday nights and looking at the different uh, characters highlighted in, uh, um, in, in this chapter. I was thinking back to last night, I was uh, in my office, uh, studying slash watching the Dallas Stars game, and uh, there was a 
they had highlighted one of the, uh, one of the fans in the stands. Um, he wasn't in a normal seat. He was in a, uh, a suite seat, uh, and it was uh, the Cleveland, quarter, Cleveland Browns quarterback, Baker Mayfield, and I don't know if it's his wife or girlfriend or whatever it is, but they took the time to say, hi, Baker, and, uh, and uh, well, that's kind of what we're doing tonight, although these people are much greater in character than Baker Mayfield, uh, and I do know that he went to OU, I do know that, and I, and I don't want to uh, talk negatively about Baker Mayfield because he is a favorite of this area, I understand. Uh, but that's what we're doing tonight uh, and in this series is, is looking at these different uh, Old Testament saints and, and examining what they did by faith uh, because each one of them did something by faith and that's what the Bible says here in verses 4, 5, 7, 8, uh, 9, uh, 11 here through faith um, and then on it goes by faith we see these different Old Testament characters uh, responding and living by faith and to encourage us to do the same uh, now last time we started talking about Abraham we studied verses 8 through 10 and uh, we uh, learned along the, the lessons that he learned along the way seemed to build on each other um, Abraham's life was definitely a journey of faith. Uh, I remember when I was in, uh, we mentioned in my Sunday school class what your favorite subject was in school and why. And uh, we all kind of went around the room. Uh, one, of the, one of the classes that I mentioned or subjects that I liked the most was, was math. Because I had a, a teacher in uh, my senior year of high school who really challenged us, and it was a difficult subject. It was trigonometry. And uh, I wasn't doing very good in the class, and uh, my dad, who majored in math, was going, uh, no, my, my son is not going to bomb a math class, you know. I majored in math, I'm going to help him through, and, and he did. He helped me, and my teacher helped me, and I ended up pulling that, uh, that uh, fantastic grade that I had before. Uh, that's a little clue as what I was getting in that class. And uh, I, I ended up pulling like a, a B- minus in the class. Uh, and, and it was a great journey, and I really did learn a lot and, and get some good confidence. So I went to a year of junior college right after high school, and uh, I wanted to, th I thought maybe I was going to become a math teacher. I knew in order to do that, I had to take calculus. Uh, so I ended up taking Calculus 101. And uh, that class was a little bit challenging, but I kind of got the hang of it. It was pretty easy peasy. Then the next semester, there was three semesters of calculus in the junior college I was going to. And so I thought, well, uh, I'll go to the next, uh, the next semester, I'll go to the next calculus, calculus two or calculus 201 or whatever it was called. And uh, that class, it was a whole different category of calculus. I mean, I was like, this is a little bit beyond me. And I really struggled in that class. And I barely ended up passing that one. And... Uh, the next semester was coming, and praise the Lord, the Lord changed directions, and I ended up going to Bible college, and there was no calculus in Bible college. And so I did not have to take uh, calculus three, but, but in those classes, if you, didn't, you couldn't just go and say, I want to take calculus two uh, before you take calculus one. No, you had to learn, you had to take calculus one, learn those principles, and then you could handle calculus two. And uh, as we're going through the life of Abraham here, 
uh, because, again, the writer of Hebrews spends a lot more time on Abraham than he does any other Old Testament figure. Uh, he, I mean, jo remember, Je um, let's see, Moses spent, as he wrote the book of Genesis, he spent more time talking about Joseph than any other uh, character in, in the book of Genesis. Well, the writer of Hebrews spends more time talking about Abraham and kind of expands his life. And as he goes through the life of Abraham, it's like a journey, and, and it's like these different classes that Abraham's having to take. As he learns those lessons, then he's able to handle the next class that he's about to, to face. So um, last, last Sunday, we, uh, we saw Abraham. He, he was called to forsake his comfort zone and how he continued to follow, and then how he concentrated on the future. That was faith 101, okay? And he passed the class. But tonight we find out how he and Sarah fared in faith 201, okay? And again, they took these principles that they learned in the first class, and now they're having to uh, apply them to the next, uh, these next stages of their life. And so let's go ahead and jump through this passage uh, together and walk through it. Uh, first of all, let's look in uh, verse number 11 and notice their dependence, their dependence. Well, it says in verse 11, through faith also... Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had, uh, who had promised. Now, this was an impossibility. The title of the message tonight, by the way, was Trusting God to Do the Impossible. And uh, we get that from this particular verse and this particular aspect of their life. Uh, remember when God showed up and said, you guys are going to have a child? And uh, do you remember what Sarah's response was? She didn't say, oh, I believe you, Lord. She had, she thought the Lord was a stand-up comedian. I mean, it, she just, she was laughing. She was chuckling at the notion that she could have a child in her old age, that she had passed the age of bearing children. And she said, there's no way this is impossible. She was 90 years old when she conceived. That's, uh, that's a little bit up there in years. Uh, not to, for those who are nearing that age, um, I'm, I'm actually almost halfway there. Uh, in September, I'll be halfway to 90. So it's not that far off. It's not that old, okay? Um, Brother Blake was telling me he played basketball yesterday with some guys over at the Heartland Baptist Bible College, and he was like, man, I feel like I'm 50 years old. I'm like, I'm kind of close to 50. Like, how <laughs> That's not a cool thing. He's like, ooh, my bad. I should have <laughs> raised it up a little bit. <laughs> uh, but here, this, this lady Sarah, was, she was 90 years old when she conceived. Now, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, on uh, August 20th, 1997, the oldest woman to give birth uh, became the oldest natural mother when she gave birth to a son by cesarean section um, was Dawn Brooke of the UK. And there's a picture on the screen of, uh, of Dawn and her, uh, her, her little one. And uh, she was 59 years old when she gave birth. And she... This, there's, you look it up tonight and later on, and you'll, you'll see that there was some in there who were 70 years old who gave birth, but it was not because of natural conception. It was all artificial. 
Um, but uh, here, the, the oldest person who had given birth in our memory, who, since we've been taking records, uh, was 1997, 59 years old. So Sarah was some 30 years beyond that, uh, and she uh, gave birth. Now, as you read through the Old Testament account of what happened here, the emphasis of the Old Testament was on her lack of faith and her laughter at the notion that she in her old age could bear a child. But evidently, there was a time when she went from doubt to dependence and faith. And the Holy Spirit here decided to balance the story out in the New Testament as she is commended now for her faith in God to do the impossible. I do want to take this opportunity tonight on the occasion of our 74th anniversary to remind us all that God is still in the business of doing the impossible. Uh, Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus said there in that verse, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Now, those are the words of our Savior. Do you, do you believe them tonight? Do you believe that God still can do the impossible? Matthew 19, 26, Jesus said, With men this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. The angel said to Mary as he declared that she would, be, uh, she would give birth to the Son of God as a virgin. Here's what the angel said. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. You say tonight, well, it's impossible for my health issue to be resolved. It's impossible for God to use my life considering uh, what I once was. It's impossible for my wayward child to come back to the Lord. It's, it's impossible for me to get out of the financial bind I'm in. You say, it's impossible for a relationship in my life to be restored. Friend, can I remind you, uh, with God, nothing shall be impossible, including those things. That does not say that God's going to fix everything just like that. But it's to remind us that God is still in the miracle working business. We still serve a mighty and powerful God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. There's a song that uh, maybe you sung when you were a little one. My God is so great, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do for you. The mountains are his, the rivers are his. The skies are his handiworks too. My God is so great, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do for you. Do you believe that? Sarah and Abraham, despite their initial doubt, and there's no question that they doubted at first, but they decided instead to depend upon the God who specializes in doing the impossible. The Bible says in verse 11, at the very end of that verse, look there, it says, because she judged him, God, faithful who had promised. What will you do? Will you continue to doubt that God can handle the situation you're in? Can I recommend tonight that you instead will depend upon the one who is faithful? 
like Sarah, eventually I got to the point where she was willing to say, okay, God, if you really are going to do this, I trust you. She did. And as a result of their dependence, we see number two tonight, their descendants. We see their descendants in verse number 12. I'm going to read this. Uh, I'm going to take out the, the phrase, and him as good as dead. I'll come back to that in a moment. But the Bible says in verse 12, Therefore sprang there even of one so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable, because they decided to believe that God could do the impossible. Then God did the impossible. 99 years old, I'm sorry, 100 years old when, uh, when Isaac was born, Abraham was. And uh, as far, as good as dead, um, that phrase there is basically meaning uh, when it comes to producing children, a 99-year-old man is about as good as a dead guy doing it. A dead guy trying to produce children. And that's what the writer of, say, the writer of Hebrews is saying. It's, uh, he's as good as dead, but be, because they believed that God, they, they judged him faithful, then uh, all these people ended up coming after them. God fulfilled their promise. How did he do that? Well, through Isaac, their promised son, Abraham became the father of an innumerable earthly family, the Hebrew nation, Israel. And later, some 1,900 years later, through uh, that line, Jesus Christ was born, and he became the father of an innumerable spiritual family, true believers of every age since then. You may remember the song, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right arm, Father Abraham. Okay, we're going to stop there, okay? <laughs> There's several verses to that song, and we're not going to go through all of them tonight. Especially, you don't want to hear me sing anymore. Uh, but the idea of that song, and, and it, you know, that's a song that, uh, unless you want the kids to get all riled up, it's probably not a song you want to be singing. Uh, I learned that in Bible college when I would sing that with the kids that I worked with, and it was like, that's kind of not a quieting down song at all. <laughs> that's a song to kind of get them even more hyper than they already are. But that song is saying that, look, uh, he really is, in a sense, my spiritual father. Uh, through the lineage of Christ, and one day I, as a 12-year-old man, uh, placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and I became uh, obviously God's child, but in a sense, I became one of Abraham's spiritual chi children uh, that um, he didn't get to see in his earthly life, but he does get to see uh, spiritually speaking. One commentator pointed out in verse number 12 as it mentions the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea, one commentator pointed out the sand of the sea shore likely pictures the earthly family of Abraham because, again, that's on the earth, the sea, the sand of the seashore. And then the stars of the sky picture the spiritual family that he would one day have 
through Christ. Uh, a good thought. A good thought. So we see, as a result of their dependence, their faith, uh, God did fulfill their promise. But then notice number three here, their dream. Their dream in verse number 13. Now these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You see, they didn't live to see the fulfillment of God's promises. Uh, they thought they were going to happen, and they believed that they would happen, but they didn't get to see them happen. See, Abraham and Sarah never saw their innumerable descendants that would one day come. The Hebrew nation never did occupy all of the land that had been promised to it. The Old Testament saints never did see the fulfillment of the promise of the Messiah, but they knew their dream, and they knew that God's promises were going to happen. It was just simply a matter of time. And whether they happened in their lifetime or not, they still believed them. Because you see in verse number 13, uh, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, having seen them afar off. Here it is. And were persuaded of them. They were completely convinced that these promises, this dream would indeed come to pass. They were, as the Bible says, persuaded of them. And their lives were different because of that conviction that they had in their heart that God was going to see this, see this through. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, God has given us promises that we may never see in our lifetime either. Promises like His coming. It may happen in our lifetime. It may happen tonight. But it may not happen in our lifetime. It may not happen in our children's or grandchildren's lifetime but rest assured that it will indeed happen. And because that promise is going to come to pass, it should affect the way that we live. Instead of just living like, oh, God's never going to come back. No, no, we need to be mindful of the fact that he said he's going to come back and we need to abide in him so that when he does appear, we'll have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. 1 John 2.28 says, now, what about the promise, the biblical promise? This isn't one that we enjoy, but it's still a promise of the word of God, and that's the promise of hell. Do you believe that there is a hell? If so, that should propel you and I to witness to our family members, to our friends, to our neighbors. See, 2 Corinthians 5.11 says, Knowing the terror of the Lord we persuade men. See, these Old Testament patriarchs, they were persuaded of the promises of God. And uh, as a result, they lived their lives knowing that these were as good as done. And you and I need to hold on to the promises of God as well and, uh, and know that they are gonna, they're as good as done as well. Even though we may not be able to see them or feel them or touch them, they're They're true. Because God is faithful who promised. Notice in verse 13, it says, they were persuaded of them. And then notice this, and embraced them. Embraced these promises. It means to embrace as one does a friend from whom he has been separated. I will never forget when my wife and I got married. We got married in July. 
And about a month later, uh, my wife had to go to Pensacola for a week-long training uh, for a Christian school. And uh, she, we were in California. She had to fly all the way across the country. I'm like, man, we just got married. This ain't cool. And she was gone for a whole, uh, a whole week and uh, without me. And this is before FaceTime and Skype and, you know, all of that stuff. Yes, we are old. As I mentioned, halfway to 90 almost. Um, almost 50, Brother Blake. Um, but uh, I remember when, uh, when it was finally time for her to come home. At that time, she was collecting precious moments. Uh, most of you probably, ladies, might know what precious moments were. And uh, I, I had given a few to her at that, at that time in our life. I haven't given to her one in, in a while because there hasn't been any precious moments since. No, just kidding. <laughs> There's been amazing moments since. And they don't have any figurines to... I'm trying to dig myself out of that dumb joke. Okay. Should never leave the notes. Just kidding. No, I gave her several precious moments figurines back in the day. And uh, I thought I, I saw one that was perfect. And it was, uh, it was, it was a guy holding uh, behind his back, I think, a couple uh, uh, tulips. And it said, sweetest tulips in town. And I was like, that's the one I'm going to give her because hopefully <laughs> I'll get to embrace those tulips uh, coming at me. So anyway, uh, I remember going to pick her up at the airport, and I was so excited to see her. And uh, I remember just embracing her and because uh, we had been separated for a whole week as newlyweds. Not cool. And uh, I remember embracing her. Now... Um, <laughs> When it comes to these promises here, and verse number 13, the Bible says these, these people, they embraced these promises like, like I embraced Julie that day when she came off that plane, and uh, I gave her that, um, that precious moments, and uh, that was a special moment. Well, that's how these people held on and embraced and uh, grabbed on to these uh, promises. It, it also means to greet, salute, welcome, and here means a joyful greeting of those promises or oppressing them to the heart as we do a friend. And no wonder, no wonder Peter said later is in his epistle, whereby are given unto us exceeding great, and I love this word, precious promises. Now, when it comes to the promises of God, I would encourage us to be fully persuaded of them, to fully embrace them. So their dream, and, th and this particular dream uh, did indeed come true. It wasn't just a figment of their imagination. It was a promise of God, and they knew it would come to pass, even though they didn't get to see it in their lifetime. And as a result of their dependence upon God, these descendants and this dream that they had, uh, not, and it's not just this dream, that's probably the, the wrong word for it, but um, this the, the idea that they, they didn't get to see what, what God had promised. Um, number four, we see their description. As a result of all of that, uh, verse number 13 tells us what they describe themselves as. Verse 13, uh, at the end of it, it says, Embrace them and confessed. Here's what they did. They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims. Well, what a challenge to the audience of this book. The audience of this book, um, 
these Hebrew Christians were reading this letter, and, and uh, this was meant to be a challenge to them to be also uh, strangers and pilgrims in this world as well, knowing that the promise would come to pass. A challenge to us tonight here in 2021 as well, to still confess that we are strangers and pilgrims. And as I look across at the people in this room tonight, I do see some strange-looking people uh, here tonight. Stranger danger, I can't talk, no. Uh, seriously, we are to be foreigners and pilgrims in this world. Here's a couple references for us, just in case you're thinking I'm making this up. 1 Peter 2, 9. Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. This isn't just to be like, well, that's kind of a strange individual. Um, no, it means that we are to be set apart. We are to be uh, set apart and set apart from this world, but set apart unto the Lord's service. We are a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. A couple of verses later in that passage, it says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as, here's that, those titles again, those descriptions, strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So we're called to be strangers. We're called to be pilgrims in this, you know, like, I don't want to be a pilgrim. I don't want to eat turkey every day in my life, you know, and wear a silly hat and a little, you know. No, 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 that's not the type of pilgrim we're talking about, okay? Uh, we're talking about uh, living a life where this world is not my home. And we're called in 1 John 2.15, love not the world, neither the things that are in this world. Look, we don't need to fit in as Christians. I know that there's a mentality among some branches of Christians that, hey, we need to fit in. We need to integrate into society so that we can really make an impact and be more relatable to those around us. I understand that to a point. Uh, but, but, but we're never called to fit in, though, as Christians in the Bible, are we? If, if you say we are, I mean, Paul said all things to all men. I, I get that. But ultimately, we're not meant to fit in to this world system and culture. We, we are different. Light is different than darkness. Paul put it this way in 1 Thessalonians 5.5. 5, Ye are all uh, the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. You don't have to fit in, my friend. You say, well, I'm a Christian, and it's hard for me to fit into all the, uh, you know, those who go to public school, all the different clubs and all the different things that everybody's all into. It's hard for me to fit in as a Christian. That is okay. You are not meant to fit in to this world system. In fact, we really shouldn't. Why? Because we are strangers and pilgrims. We don't have to be all up on all things worldly. I don't have to know everything there is to know about every rock star, every rap star, every movie star. <coughs> we need to be instead wise into that which is good and simple concerning evil. You say, well, you don't really know, you know, you don't know all the pop culture. You don't have to know all the pop culture. I'm saying you don't need to be 
aware of what's going on to a point, but too often we kind of get ourselves thinking, oh, I need to know everything that everybody else knows so that I can effectively witness to them. No, the thing is, is people need to see a difference in my life. And they're not going to see that if I'm just like everybody else. As the world and culture continues to go further and further away from the Lord, may God help us to stay faithful to him and avoid the pitfalls of the world and to be like these patriarchs in verse number 13, to be strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Because this isn't all there is, my friend. This world is extremely temporary. And uh, don't put too much into this world. And we mentioned it in our Sunday school class, set not your affection on things or set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Where is your affection? Uh, where are you putting your affection towards? The things of this earth or on things above? That's the question. Are these people, these patriarchs, Abraham, Sarah, they decided to uh, put their affection on things above and to be okay to be a stranger and a pilgrim on the earth, knowing that, hey, this isn't all there is. Uh, number five, let's notice lastly tonight, their desire. Their desire in verses 14 through 16, it says, For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And the writer of Hebrews wants to clarify and say, well, many people think, well, they're just desiring to go back to home. They're going back to the Ur of the Chaldees. That's where, that's where they want to go back. Verse 15 says, no, no, that's not the case. Truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. There was opportunity for them to go back to the early Chaldees, but they didn't want to go there. That's not what their heart was. Here's what their heart was in verse 16. But now they desire a better country. That is an heavenly. Wherefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God. For he hath prepared for them a city. Now, I love America. And in spite of all of her woes, which there are many, and many more are being added regularly, this still is the greatest country on earth at the moment, for now. But this is not what these people, Abraham and Sarah, were longing for. They weren't seeking uh, prosperity. They weren't seeking the American dream, or even political freedom. They were looking for a better country that is an heavenly country. Doves and pigeons. Uh, those two birds are from the same family of birds. And both have the ability to return home. There's, they all have a homing ability built into them by the Lord. Remember when Noah... Let that dove go from the ark and it returned the first time because there was no rest. But then a week later, he let the dove go again. And this time it came back with an olive leaf. So that dove knew how to get home. Brother and sister, it's no coincidence that the Holy Spirit is likened to a dove that we mentioned this morning. The baptism of Jesus. The Holy Spirit indwells us at the moment of our salvation and has a homing ability leading us, not home tonight, to our brick-and-mortar home, but ultimately leading us to that heavenly home that we all are longing for. 
This is a supernatural desire that God gives us after we're saved, a desire for a better country. Hey, I want our country to have revival. There's no question we need revival in this land. But if it doesn't ever come, that's okay. This world's not my home. I mean, it's, it's not okay because my kids still have to grow up here. My grandkids eventually. I do want revival here, but ultimately, I'm not banking in this world and, and this country. And uh, more important than my citizenship here in America is my citizenship in heaven. There's a song that uh, Brother Tom requested to have at his funeral. And it's called Sweet Beulah Land. And it wasn't that he requested it. It was a special song to him, though. And I know that uh, that was played in, I believe, the uh, one part of the service, I think maybe as you all were entering or during the, during the video, during the video. Here's the lyrics to that song. And this is exactly what this is saying here regarding Abraham and Sarah. And this is exactly the spirit we should have as well. I'm kind of homesick for a country to which I've never been before. No sad goodbyes will there be spoken. For time won't matter anymore. Beulah land, I'm longing for you. And someday on thee I'll stand. There my home shall be eternal. Beulah land, sweet Beulah land. I'm looking now across the river where my faith will end in sight. There's just a few more days to labor. Then I will take my heavenly flight. Beulah land, I'm longing for you. And someday on thee I'll stand. There my home shall be eternal. Beulah land, sweet Beulah land. That's what Abraham and Sarah were desiring. I said, hey, we'd love to see the promise fulfilled in our lifetime, but we're trusting that the Lord's going to see it through. Uh, and in, in his timing, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't need to be in my timing. And uh, I know this world's not my home, so I'm going to stop giving my whole life to building myself uh, a life here and focusing on my life to come in glory. I'm desiring a better country. That is unheavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you into myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Looking forward to that. So tonight, as we looked at God doing the impossible, he did do the impossible. And this is... We, we kind of look through it and skim over it because it's like, yeah, we've heard this story many, many times. Sarah and Abraham gave birth when they were old. Big deal. But if you were 90 years old and you gave birth, that would be a big deal. And it was a big deal to them. And God did what they thought was impossible. Look, he did do the impossible because that's what he specializes in. And that's not just Old Testament theology, that's New Testament theology too. That's all time theology because that's who God is. 
He's a miracle-working God. He is the Lord, and he changes not. So the life of the patriarchs was, in all essential respects, such as we should lead. They looked forward to heaven. They sought no permanent possessions here. They held on to the promises of God and embraced them and were fully persuaded of them. They regarded themselves as strangers and pilgrims on the earth, and they trusted God to do the impossible. I hope that tonight something said was an encouragement and a help to you and that you'll decide that, hey, if God can do that for Abraham and Sarah, maybe God can help me with, and you fill in the blank. Uh, Maybe God is able to handle that because he is so great, so mighty, so strong. There's nothing my God cannot do for you. Let's pray.